Hello, everybody, and welcome again to Focus Fire Podcast. I'm Alan, as always, joined by my co-host, Jeff Dirty Pool. Hey, guys. <laughs> uh, this is our number three episode, and they said it wouldn't last. So we're going to... Uh, We'd like to apologize for so far for our audio quality. You know, we're still in the beginnings of podcasting and getting the bugs out. Our first episode, Jeff sounded like he was coming from down a hallway, and he almost was. And now uh, we're just trying to get better. I found out also that I'm rushing. I I try to talk too fast. Like, I try to get everything in. And my mind races faster than my mouth can. I saw a team, so I need to, I need to take it like sex. I need to slow down, take it time, take my time, and do it right. I didn't know you knew about that, Alan. I've seen the, I have the internet. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> brought to you through the TFG Radio Network as always, and we'd also like to thank Jacob Cook. He came in here. He's a professional uh, audio guy in the uh, movie business and the entertainment industry, and he came in tried to give us a little bit of pointers and. He kind of went a little bit overboard. It's like, because he's like an F1 Formula One driver, you know, he knows all the bells and whistles. And he's telling us, you know, we got to do all this stuff. It's like, he's like, you guys need to buy a Ferrari. It's like, but I'm just, I just want to go down to the local store. <laughs> so we're kind of novices. We're kind of new at this editing and brought, and uh, recording and everything like that. And he was a great help to us. Okay. And uh, we'd also uh, like the today's topics are preparing for a major. And next weekend, both of us, me and Jeff, and possibly the salty one, Salty John, will be headed up to uh, the BAO to compete. And we're going to talk about our lists, our predictions, the BAO meta, and how to uh, get ready. All right, guys, now for our first topic of the episode, preparing for a major. So, you know, this is something that I wish I had the chance to do more often is go to majors. But... Uh, the reality is I uh, I don't. So when I do go, I have to kind of relearn how to get ready. And it's really a kind of a personal thing that everyone has to kind of figure out on their own. But Al and I, we thought we'd share some of our uh, tips of the trade for getting ready for large events. And, I mean, the first one starts months before the event, even uh, before you get to the event. And it's really um, one we're not really going to focus too much on this episode um, because we want to get more into the logistics of actually getting to the tournament and what you need to do on the day of. But one thing that is cr- absolutely crucial is practicing with your list. You know, my personal advice to anyone who asks, which isn't very many people, but now that I have a podcast, I think people will maybe ask me one more time than it was before. So uh, practice with your list. It's a, a really good idea. Uh, list proficiency is a key to success at a large tournament. You're going to have a lot of other stress stress going on in your uh, in your day at the tournament. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be worried about your matchups. You're going to be hungry, dehydrated. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. Having your list pretty much memorized and being proficient with it to an, to a great degree is extremely helpful because it makes it so you don't have, that's one less thing to worry about. Um, you don't have to be worrying about prior iterations or anything like that. And my recommended, my recommendation is you, you get 10 or 15 tournament style games. It could just be practice games with your club mates or whatever, uh, before you actually get to the tournament. Alan, what do you think about that? What's your kind of... I know you you don't always follow that advice. <laughs> no, actually, I kind of do, but 
I I generally, you need to practice with a list. There's no question about that. You need to know the ins and outs of it. And especially if you want to tune it for comp- competitive play, you need to know what your weaknesses are. You need to know, you know, can you handle whores? Can you handle this? And the only way you can find sometimes fatal flaws is by playing and playing against a wide variety of armies. There's a lot of times, you know, you think, oh, on paper, this army looks killer. Nobody can beat it. And then you go play at a tournament. It's like you go like one and two. So you need to you need to really uh, know what your army's capable of, especially to fine-tune it to, to where it's at a get it to a to competitive play and there's an example of we had we had a friend uh his we'll just call him by his nickname let's call him salty and uh oh, salty <laughs> a couple years ago at the bao he decided to change his list the week of the bao and he's playing a different type of army and then at the last minute he switched out and he went into it he painted like a maniac for three days and ended up showing up and he ended up getting raffle stomp because what you think your army can do is not really necessarily what it can do you really need practice with an army and you really need to know what know how to play it against different armies you need to know the setup you need to know you know deployment you need to know you know just where to go what to do and how how your army basically functions and he ended up getting crushed. Now, last year, apparently, he uh, he actually was going to take Necrons. This is John we're talking about, of course. He was going to take Necrons to the BAO, but before he realized the Necrons suck balls and there was nothing he could do about it. So he wanted to win. So the Knights were the new hotness. So he ended up playing, he ended up buying a Knight army and putting it together a few, you know, about a month or so before. They came out just before the BAO last year. And he ended up playing a lot, a lot, a lot of practice games. He... <laughs> He ended up uh, doing very well at BAO and went 5-0. and So you need to really practice with a list, really know it and get it down. Yeah, and, you know, that's uh, that's just kind of our, our the intro advice to getting ready for a major. But this episode's really more, or this topic is mainly more about what you should do practically. You know, uh, one thing that the first thing you're going to uh, encounter when you go to a major is typically traveling. I mean, this might be air, airplane travel. You might be driving. If you're lucky enough to have a major in your hometown, you might be staying at uh, your house and so you don't have to worry about accommodations. But one of the first things I like to do when I buy my ticket is uh, get Alan to book my uh, hotel for me. Yeah, I was about to say, you know, if you're going to say you book a hotel or something like that, and uh, that's not been my experience. Like, uh, calling me up and saying where we're staying. (laughs) (laughs) Or just have a clutch teammate who will take care of the accommodations, you know, because you want to focus on your strengths. So uh, Alan's really good at booking hotels, finding good deals, and that's what he does. So, you know, but anyways, if you don't have an Alan in your group, uh, you can just go ahead and make sure you get your accommodations lined up early. As soon as you buy your ticket and you know you're going, just get that reservation on there. Most hotels have a, a cancellation window and if they if you get it past that usually the cancellation is relatively minor um yeah most hotels a lot of people don't know this they have a cancellation first of all you can book a hotel room without anybody down usually except vegas is like uh, the the one exception to the rule but you can uh you can just book a hotel room just put it down on your credit card they won't charge you and you have a cancellation up until 48 hours to about 24 hours before uh you're 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 due in there and so you can go ahead and book a hotel early and then if you change your your 
plans change, you can just go ahead and cancel the hotel room without a problem. Yeah, and you know, Frontline Gaming or whomever you're uh, is running the tournament, they typically will have a cancellation policy as well. You know, thirty days out or something like that, where you can get your money back without any issues. And it seems like a lot of these tournaments are sold out. So even if they have a 30-day usually cancellation window, but even if you're past the 30-day cancellation window, you usually can find somebody who wants a ticket and sell you their ticket to them. Yeah. So book early, get all your travel and uh, housing accommodations taken care of right away. If you're going with a big group of people and you want to have, if you're more of a casual person, you're just going to the tournament just with a bunch of friends. I found it really um, nice in the past. I've rented Airbnbs with people. You got like 10 or 15, you know, 10 gamers, eight gamers in in a four or five bedroom house together. And it's just a really big party. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily a conducive environment for winning a tournament, but it is uh, a conducive environment for having fun at the tournament if that's what you're there to do. Also, as a general rule, a lot of these uh Big conventions and majors are being held at hotels these days. My recommendation is always to stay at the hotel where the event's going to be held at, if at all possible. There's several reasons you want to do this. First of all, usually the uh, the TOs usually will get a discount on the event space if they book a certain amount of rooms. And so it's very important, if you want the event to succeed and if you want the tournament to succeed, to go ahead and book those rooms. Another one is... A lot of times you will have some free time. Let's say you crush your opponent with an hour or something like that, and you'll have like a couple hours to just kick it back. You just want to go up to your room and maybe rest and relax or get some drinks or something like that. And also these tournaments, especially like people think LVO has all these hotels in Las Vegas, and it's such a huge travel time and such an inconvenience to get to and from the hotels, and it's just so much convenient to uh, stay at the uh, at the hotel the convention's at. So it's, that's always my recommendation. Yeah, it's a good recommendation. That's not always possible, but it, staying as close as possible to the event location is also a good thing to do. Um, you're also going to want to think about the logistics of getting your army there. You know, this is a bunch of plastic miniatures with pointy bits that are prone to breaking. If you're bringing your Drukhari army with a bunch of raiders and ravagers and all those sails, you got to think about how you're going to get that to the event. If you're driving, it's a lot easier. You can usually just, you know, throw some towels or some padding, padding back there in your trunk and it should be okay. If you're traveling on an airplane, though, you're going to have to really figure out how you are going to uh, get your army to the event location. I know, Alan, you had some some interesting travel arrangements for the uh, London Grand Tournament last year, right? Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't too bad. Generally, as a a rule is, you want to carry on your army with you always. You do not want to be separated from your army, and you don't want the monkeys in the baggage hold to be throwing your 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 middies around. So if you can, if at all possible, you want it to fit in the overhead uh, storage bin. And I was allowed, when you fly, you're basically allowed, you know, a suitcase and a personal item. And I took an army, I basically play in the army, a similar army now, Zinch Demons, to a London uh, GT. And I, and I had this fitted in a very small box because you're allowed your luggage in the overhead compartment and one personal item that basically sits in, that slides in the seat in front of you. And so it had to be within their dimensions of the personal item. And also because I was going to be mailing my army home to me because I was going to be in Europe traveling around there for about five weeks. I just wanted to get my army back here. So it had a certain dimension. So it's very important to carry... A, a very packed small and packed uh, 
and keep your army with you at all times. Yeah, and you know that might may affect the choice of army you bring as well. Um, just thinking about those logistics. Um, one thing I always pack with me is super glue when I come because no matter what happens, you're going to have a broken bit uh, when you get to the hotel uh, where you're staying for the event. Um, pro tip here: either bring an unopened super glue or bring it in a put it in a plastic Ziploc bag because. When I went to Vegas for the first time, I had my super glue just out. And Vegas, if for people who don't know, is I think what two thousand feet above sea level. So it's pretty high up there. It's a high desert, and the elevation change from Los Angeles, where we're you know five feet above sea level, uh, the super glue had burst and it got all over my uh, my codex actually. So I couldn't really open my codex at the tournament. It was kind of a drag. But um, so yeah. Glue is the one thing I always need and I always forget, but Harbor Freight has these little tubes of super glue, little self-contained tubes, and they have like two of them for like a buck, and I need to pick up a few of those just to carry around with me in my bag to, to fix uh, broken models. Yeah, because it always happened. Um, but, you know, these are all the things that, you know, they're the minor things that people hopefully should think about, and really, you know, when we're telling you this, it's mainly... We're here sounding like your parents or something uh, before you go on your first uh, prom trip or something. My this this next piece of advice is is a bit controversial because some people don't sleep well and some people do. I am the kind of person I have kids. I can sleep through a storm. Uh, I make sure the night before day one I get a really good night's sleep. Uh, it's important to me because. Uh, I just, you know, it's important to recharge your batteries. Uh, a, a tournament, especially if it's two days or three days even, um, where you're playing nine to 10, 12 hours a day, is a grueling experience both physically and mentally. And you don't think about it, but you're standing up, you're bending over the table, you're rolling dice, you're moving your stuff around, you're, uh, your brain is working overtime to help you win the game, hopefully. Um, so you, there's a lot of things that can go in into your um, physical and mental state, and, and having a good night's sleep is a really good base for uh, success, in my opinion. So you're suggesting people shouldn't stay out to 2, 3 o'clock in the morning drinking and then playing their game next day hungover? That's your advice, Jeff? That is my advice. But I also my, also my advice is you should just do what you normally do. Like I usually drink, you know, at night. Um, and, but I usually am also not up till two in the morning. I, you know, I have a cocktail or two at home, but I, so I make sure I do that, uh, when I'm out at a tournament, uh, but I don't stay out till two. No, not, I mean, if I want to win, no, <laughs> it's just not a good idea. If you're, but you know, this is, this is diff There's different people who go to different terms for different reasons. If you're there to just have a good time and you've rented an Airbnb with six of your buddies, uh, then yeah, by all means, do what you want to do. All right, so you're just to go, you're going on the record saying that you were not hungover on day three of the LVO while you were playing. Is that what you're saying? Uh, day three, I was extremely hungover. <laughs> okay, I just want to <laughs> just let the record show. <laughs> yeah, so, and then, you know, one thing the next morning you want to do is you're going to get to the event early. What I like to do is get there about 45 minutes, half an hour early at a minimum, check in, and just sit down, relax, and socialize. This is one of the times and and when everyone's kind of getting ready for the tournament, everyone's there. It's a really good time to actually socialize with a lot of the people that you've met at the tournaments that you've been to in the past and meet new people. So you might say, hey, you know, this is a good time to, to just get that socialization out there because at least for me, I find when I'm playing my games, I, I don't really have a lot of time to chit-chat with people uh, who are not in my games. You know, I'm just – I'm focused on my game. I want to win, and then I – play the game and then when I'm done I'm usually like having to rush off to the next round because it starts in 10 minutes or so but uh, I find that getting there early is a nice nice thing you get to relax you don't stress about getting there 
late and you get to uh, socialize with some of the people that you may have met before. I know you and Adam will be the death of me. You guys are up at like six, seven o'clock in the morning. Tournament starts at like, and you guys are getting ready and showering and stuff like that. And you're killing me because <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a, what, a late riser. I usually sleep, you know, late hours. And so they're up constantly waking me up, trying to meet, get me to breakfast and stuff like that. And I'm just dying. I'm like, I'm the type who show up five minutes before the tournament starts and begins playing. And uh, that's my comfort zone. So do what makes you comfortable. Yeah, if it works for you, that's great. Um, the, the next thing I want to talk about is the actual event itself. As I kind of mentioned earlier, it is a physical, I mean, it's, look, you're not running a marathon or anything, but you are going to be physically taxing your body for nine to 10 hours in one single day. You're going to be standing up uh, for quite some time. You're going to be bending over the table to move models, rolling dice, walking around, carrying your army, moving up and down the hotel uh, elevator if you need to. Um, I find that I, at tournaments, would often have a lot of back pain, like lower back pain. Um, nothing crazy, but just a little like ache in my lower back that I didn't have before the tournament after it was done. Um, so I actually found it really helpful before the last LVO. I, I kind of just YouTubed some uh, back lower back stretches, and I started doing them a, like a two weeks before uh, the LVO. And then I found that LVO that all that back pain was was gone, and like it was just night and day. I also make it a practice to uh, sit down when it's not my turn in a tournament. That's uh, really important. I find um, you kind of feel like you're not engaged in the game, you, or you may feel like that. Um, but it's just a really good practice for kind of conserving your, your lower back and taking it easy on your body. Yeah, you should rest and sit down, especially between games or when you're not doing anything, you know. But if you, you should try to be in some type of shape and try to build up some kind of stamina. Because I know that cost me probably going into the finals of LVO this year because Round six, I was pretty much exhausted and I couldn't stand, I just kind of sat down there and whatever. You really need to kind of, to be a good player, you kind of need to have good stamina. You need to stand over the table and you need to micromanage everything. Because there were some times I was sitting down, just just tired and, you know, a guy would move some things like that. And then, you know, I didn't say, you know, you're leaving combat or, you know, and all these, and then it's like, hey, I wasn't in combat. And so you get all these Kind of he said, she said kind of a kind of moment. So it's important to uh, to be in some sort of physical shape, to be able to mental, stay mentally engaged as long yeah. as you can. And another thing, if you look at all the best players, they're usually in pretty good shape. Like look at Tony Grappando, you look at Brandon Grant, you look at, you know, look at all the guys who did well. And they're usually, you know, skinny guys, you know, who can stand over the table and are in relatively decent shape and can stay engaged and focus. Yeah, uh, so not don't be 40K fit. Is that what you're saying, Alan? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it, it, it's a, one point that is kind of interesting what Alan brought up is round six and round is you've been going for a day and a half at that point, you know, and round six is when you need your body and your mind to be as sharp as possible. And if you're, if you're essentially at your the end of your fuel tank, uh, at the start of game six, it's not going to bode well for you in the tournament. So, um, you know, you may be at the top table. You may be super stressed. And if your back is hurting and you're you're out of fuel, then uh, you're obviously not going to do as well as you uh, want to do. Especially uh, if you're at a tournament that has a four-game day, like at the Nova Open. It's kind of like the, the baton death march of 40K, and you really need uh, – 
You really need to be there for game number four. Yeah, geez. Um, one thing I always do when I get to a tournament is I bring uh, f- uh, food with me. I usually always have a good breakfast. I usually It's interesting because I say do what you normally do, uh, and I usually don't eat a big breakfast at home. But when I'm at a tournament, I'll go out with you know my teammates to Denny's or the Black Bear Diner or something uh, and grab um, some food beforehand. You know, just, I usually just get some eggs and bacon, but you know I don't eat too heavily in the morning. But when I get to the event, I always make sure I bring a little backpack with me to help carry my codexes and stuff like that. Uh, but I also fill it up with snacks and water. Like I bring a big water bottle that is refillable because most tournaments are going to have a water station of some sort. You want to stay hydrated, drink a lot of water. I mean, if you have to go to the bathroom like as often as I do, that's fine. It's better to be hydrated and have to use the restroom a lot than to be dehydrated and get a, a headache halfway through the uh, tournament. I also bring energy bars, little cliff bars. Bring two times as much as you think you'll need, and just you know that way you can give one to your opponent if you want. Uh, if they're showing signs of fatigue, and be a nice guy and give your opponent something to uh, eat before the game starts. Yeah, food. I usually my my philosophy is I always eat a big breakfast. I don't eat breakfast either. Usually, generally when I'm at home, I only eat uh, breakfast when I'm at tournaments, and I usually don't eat lunch for several reasons. Usually, if I eat a big breakfast, I'm not going to be hungry for lunch. And also, I'm kind of in the, I'm not really hungry when I play 40K for some odd reason. So, and then also, you get the convention prices usually where it's like a hamburger, fries, and a drink for like $15 or so. So, the cheapskate in me, if you want to save some money, it certainly is uh, don't eat uh, lunch at the, uh, at the tournament. But a lot of tournaments, especially if they're being held at big hotels, they have, they, they, they have food concessions there. And so, they do not want you to bring food or water in. When I was playing at the London GT, actually, because London has security issues with terrorists, uh, they did a very thorough screening of everybody who came into the London GT at the stadium there. And they went through all of our bags and confiscated all the food and water we had with us. And I had a package of gummy bears that got confiscated. And then when I went inside the venue, I had like a inflatable uh, water bottle too. And all they had, because it was being held basically in a bar that was in the stadium, and all they had was hot, there was no drinking fountains anywhere, and all they had was hot water running on the taps, I guess to keep people drinking, but it was just a miserable experience. But things like uh, the LVO and Adepticon, they don't want you to drink, eat or drink non-hotel food. So at the LVO, they had a gatekeeper there. Everybody had to put down their food and beverages before entering in, but you can stuff something in a bag. Be Just be discreet if you can. And I, I always carry, like, I always bring a case of Gatorade with me and I bring it to the LVO and I drink about three a days. And, you know, as long as you're discreet with it, keep it in your bag. Or if you just bring an empty hydro flask or Camelback water uh, water container, you know they'll have they'll have drinking fountains there. Or they'll have uh, you know drinking water there available to you. And just fill up until you can drink. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's you know you want to keep your your tank going, uh, your fuel tank up. So. And then you know you want to actually bring things uh, with you that will help you get through the game if you're using a large army with a large model count you have you know your 150 orc boys or whatever you bring your movement trays bring your your stratagem cards and your psychic power cards um bring your cheat sheets if you have them these are all things that are going to help you get through the game i found that when i was playing my chaos list i had like fucking six psychers or some shit so i printed my my list on double-sided paper and I had the names of all my psychers and like a description of the model. So I had like a blue demon prince and a, a dark blue one or whatever. 
And I noted, I left blanks there for their spells. And before every game, I just say, here's my list, take a look at it. And then I'd, I'd say, let me give it back. I'll write down all my spells. And I'd write down all my spells, but it was also really handy when I went to my psychic phase, I looked down and I just had that piece of paper in front of me. I'd say, okay, well, let's just go down the list. And unless you wanted to obviously do it in a different uh, order for uh, strategic purposes, but if you didn't just go down that list and see what happens. Um, so that's really, you know, all the advice I have for preparing for a major, you know, it's really just the, the logistics of it. You want to, you want all of your brain power to be focused on playing the best games of Warhammer you can. And so, you want to make sure that you facilitated the ability to do that by by bringing enough food and water, getting enough rest, and just kind of being ready for the tournament. Yeah, you want to bring a lot of everything you need. You want to bring if you have the dice rolling app, if you have a million a million dice, you want to bring that with you. You bring your phone with you. And uh, I I have a psychic power cheat sheet too because I have so many. Uh, Zinch Demons and then Thousand Sons that I have, you know, about eight different, over eight psychers with three powers each. And so everybody, you know, and so instead of just fumbling around, you know, telling my opponent what psychic powers they have, I just hand it to them. And basically I know what psychic powers most of them are going to have with a few exceptions. I'll have one, I'll make one for hordes, one for like elite armies and one for just, you know, general purpose and so i just have that all the so i don't have to worry about psychic powers at the very, very beginning talking to them and dealing it a few other things i'd like to say too about preparing have a packing list too is because i always i'm always gluing a model together at the last minute or painting something at the last minute and i always leave them on my desk and i grab my bags and everything else so if you can, take a printout of your army list and just go over it through your all your uh, items. Make sure everything's packed and accounted for. That way, when you're not, you know, five hours from home, you uh, figure out that you lost, you're leaving a whole unit behind. That's a really good, that's a really good tip, actually. And a few other things. Try to take, uh, I like to bring movement trays with me, too, because you, everything's time now and you're under the clock. And I just have like a sheet of, of it's basically like uh, like tin or metal, and I basically you just put magnets underneath all your all your models. And so, if you have dealing you know, like a horde, because I I basically I have a like thirty zangors and thirty horror, pink horrors that I always deep strike, and you need to have something where you can quickly move them onto the table. And just slide them off uh, the tray, and so they're all going to be all set up in a hurry. So, you need to bring, try to bring uh, movement trays with you if you can, and try to have everything organized. Also, just bring a tray with you too. That's another big thing: is moving your army between uh, game to game. You want to bring a tray so you can fit your army in there. Don't bring it. Don't make it too large because some people sometimes they bring like these giant uh, moving trays and then they have a huge display board and they clog up an entire arm aisle and people just can't get by them and everybody's always bumping into it bring a small little tray to move your armies between round to round so let's move on to our second topic alan the bay area open it's coming up in about a week or so from when this podcast will air over memorial day week up in wonderful weather San Francisco. So uh, let's talk about our lists that we're going to bring out. We kind of want to just go over them for you because 
we're going to be doing an episode after the Bay Area Open where we do some practical application of assessing our losses and our gains. We'll kind of go over some of that stuff. So we want to kind of familiarize you guys with what we're going to be bringing in and also why the process that we went through to get our list to where they are now. So, uh, Alan, you want to go first? No, but I'll do it anyways. That's right. Okay. I'm bringing uh, Zinch, Demons, and Thousand Suns. So uh, why am I bringing this? Basically because that's what I wanted to play. After LVO, I was kind of burned out on Harlequins and Eldar. And so like my other fallback, the other army I like to play is kind of Zinch. And so I kind of took off uh, pretty much February and March and kind of got back into it in April. And uh, so I kind of had to come up with a list. And now it seems like everybody's playing Chaos. And I kind of hate being in a bandwagon because it seems like everybody else is doing the same thing. But you got to get your 40K hipster on, huh? <laughs> I know. And so everybody's always telling me. And I always, I always limit myself. And I always try to do something that's unique. Because Jeff told me, like, I was coming up with the Harley Quinn list. And Jeff goes, oh, that's just like uh, Paul Bowman's list, uh, Harley Quinn list. And I'm like, ah, crap. So I got to throw it up and throw it out and start over again. So <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a net lister. I try to be a, an originator, not Special an imitator. Flake. I know. So everybody's going, you should bring like a corn demon prince with the axe of uh, night slaying. And I'm going, no, I'm not playing corn. I'm playing Zeech. Everybody goes, oh, you should bring in some nerglings. I go, no, I'm not going to, I'm playing Zeech. And so I, I always kind of put some limits on myself for but some you, other reason. But you are going for pure Zeech faction, though, for the ITC now, though. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, that's one, that's one advantage is... They, they created a Zinch faction, and it's kind of like virgin territory. Because Thousand Sons is going to be almost impossible to win right now because Jim Vessel did really well. Even though he only took, like, for example, he only took, he only, his army is only like seven point, 700 points of Thousand Sons and like, you know, 1,300 points of Demons because he broke it up into three factions. He was primary, he's considered in, in ITC primary Thousand Suns, so he's got a huge Thousand Suns score that will not be uh, overtaken anytime in the near future. So, uh, yeah, they have a new uh, new uh, Zinch category, which I'm leading right now, so I'm going to play Zinch, I guess, till the end of next month. I got four... G four majors I'm going to uh, in the next month, and so I should get some decent scores up and see how I go from there. And then after that, I might revisit my Eldar. So what? Tell us what you're bringing to Bay Area Open. Armin, Demon Prince of Zinch. Uh, just basically some Zangors. I have a squad of 25 Zangors and two squads of 10 Zangors for my battalion. And my Chaos Demon Battalion, I have a Changecaster, Fate Weaver. Lord of Change, 25 Horrors, 10 Brimstones, 10 Brimstones, and Magnus the Red. So it's basically, a lot of big birds, a lot of big wings. Yeah, in that board. It's, uh, it's basically the Monster Match. The Lord of Change, Fate Weaver, and Magnus the Red. Now, I said a little while ago that I was not too happy with Magnus's performance because he died, but I can't quit you, Magnus. <laughs> Sometimes you play a model you like, even though maybe they're not uh, optimized and... So I'm just trying to, I just have to figure out a way to keep Magnus alive. And one of the army, one of the things about this army is it has a huge psychic phase. Not much shooting phase, not much of an assault phase, huge psychic phase. And if you notice with most armies, you know, powers cast off on a seven usually. And you got like a, you know, a 60% chance of getting them off. And as an elder player, I know, you know, there's a lot of times I wouldn't get one or two powers off a turn 
Well, when you rely on psychic powers like I do, you need to cast them reliably. So basically, with Magnus, the Lord of Change, and Fate Weaver, they're all plus two to cast. So I get eight castings off. I can almost guarantee that I'm going to get them off. Then I have Araman, who's, who's also plus one to cast. And then I get, uh, and then everybody who's within nine inches of Magnus gets to re-roll ones uh, on a psychic test. And also I got Gaze of Fate spell, which also allows me to re-roll either one or both the dice. So I have a lot of redundancy as far as, uh, so I, I basically can get the psychic powers off that I need to, and that's really important. And well, it also makes it hard to deny as well, right? Yeah, see, that's that's another thing. Is it's hard for my opponents to deny, and also the other factor was I can shut down my opponent's psychic phase because I can deny the crap out of them. Because I was playing against uh, Custodes last night, and he goes, he went on. He only had one little like primary psych or whatever he is. And he goes, oh, he went into a shooting phase. Oh, I forgot to do the psychic power. I go, I forgot. I go, no, nah, go ahead. Because I, it won't matter. And he, so he rolled, he's trying to smite me. It's like, okay, I shut it down. It's like, okay. <laughs> but uh, being able to deny within 24 inches any psychic powers being cast on me is big. Because there's a lot of armies. Like Jim Vessel's list, he has a lot of psychers in his list. And being able to shut down uh, psychic powers is big. For sure. But... Uh, so I, how I came to this list, I basically tried it out a few times. I basically had, I like the Lord of Change because I can make him my warlord and give him the impossible rope. I mean, he's got a three plus invulnerable save and he's got minus one to damage. So all the two wound stuff only does one damage. So, so he becomes like a super wave serpent essentially. Yeah, basically he's just, things. he's, he's, um, he's the important cog, but then I have to keep Magnus <clears throat> alive. So I'm just trying to. Figure out ways I can keep Magnus alive. Go first. Uh, yeah, see, I, that's the problem is he's always Kingslayer, and they always take Kingslayer as a secondary on him. If I can go first, or if I can get like a, even even being certain deployment zones, you know, you can be in like a corner of Vanguard or like Hammer and Anvil, you can be decent range away, but I just have to keep, I just have to figure out a way. So I might, I might drop the Herald of Zinch and order the Changeling. Because right now my army has just so many wounds that the changeling can can give me that six plus feel no pain on with all the horrors with all the big birds and with Magnus I might I might add the changeling back into the list and just and because I don't have the slot and attachment I can just I guess I can just I'll probably summon a uh, a herald of Zinch. But, Do you have summoning points in your list as well? Yeah, I have about right now I have about seventy summoning points. But if I add the changeling in, I'm going to have to change some things around. And playtesting the list, I did really well. I, I I played it, and this is how you come to a list and how you kind of kind of arrive at, at your final list. is I took it to my very first uh, tournament. I took it in the Battle for LA, and I went 4-1. I only lost one game. And that was to a fit. What, is, what was that thing called? The, the Space Falchion. Holes? Falchion, yeah. Falchion. He just blew Magnus off the table, turn one, and then it's like, okay, fine, the Falchion's there, but I'm, I'll just take out the rest of his army. But that was uh, that was the one time that my dice just crapped out on me, and I couldn't get any psychic powers off. And it's like one of those games, you know. I think I mentioned this where you know I I rolled a twelve for uh, for for a smite on my Lord of Change. And, you know, my on a D6, I rolled a 1 for his damage. I rolled a 3 on a D3 for my damage. 
and sometimes you just get those games where just luck just doesn't go your way. But I was kind of I was kind of happy with Magnus the way he worked, except for that one game. And then I I played him this weekend at a RTT. I played basically this list. I made some minor tweaks, and he did really well. And I just need to figure out ways to keep him alive. Like now with prepared positions, because he's got a three up save, he benefits from prepared positions. So I can give him a two up save. So he like a lot of poison shots I'm worried about. It's one of my concerns. And with a two up save, I can keep him alive. And also when you play in frontline gaming events, they have a lot of tall buildings and ruins. So I can hide him and cover if I can, try to give him a cover save as much as I can. So I, I just need to keep him alive because he's basically the strength of the army. And I just made minor tweaks because I changed out. I took my, in my Thousand Sons list, I took basically two cultist squads, two 10-man cultists, just to fill out the battalion. But the cultists really don't do anything. They're just so, they're not durable. And uh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, try to keep them alive. So I switched them out with Zangors. They're only 20 points more. Uh, for uh, 10 of them, and it gives them toughness 4, 5 up, and vulnerable saves. So they're a lot more durable, and they'll do a little bit more damage. So And Zangords are great. Yep. What about you, Jeff? What about your list? What are you taking? Well, uh, I am taking Tau to the Barry Open. <clears throat> it's essentially the same list I took to the Battle for Los Angeles. That you but almost won the Battle for Los Angeles with. I, sure, yeah. <laughs> almost, I guess. <laughs> Um, you know, I was, it was, it's funny, kind of a side tangent is, uh, I was talking to Don Hoosen and he, uh, he beat me, he got third place, I got fourth, he beat me by two points. It was in our game, he got a lucky two points on me because his Venom Crawler exploded near two of my characters, uh, three of my characters, killed three characters, or two characters or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, he rolled really hot, on, or I rolled really poorly, I don't remember who rolled, on the damage to the characters. He, he had to blow up on a five, he's out of CPs, and this, the thing just happened to explode and happened to kill <laughs> two of my Firesight marks and got him two points, and at the time, I'm like, I ah, no big deal. Uh, but then looking back at the, end of the, at the end of the standings, he was two points ahead of me. I was like, ah, that's my, those are my guys you killed with your exploding vehicle. So. Oh, by the way, I'm going to have to ask you to do me a favor at the BAO. You have a bad habit of losing the podcasters. I'm going to need you to stop that. So just, you know, now that you're on a podcast, you know, because you lost the Ray from the Veteran Gamer Reenlisted podcast. And you lost to Colin Sherman at last year's BAO. Uh, so. Yeah. Just, uh, just, uh, just try to try not to lose to podcasters. All right. I have, I have a reputation now. Yes. Huh? Okay. <laughs> um, well, anyways, I'm bringing my towel list. It's, it's pretty similar to what I ran at Battle for Los Angeles, but I've had, I've added one thing or made a change. Uh, I have, I had before three, and I'll go over the list in a minute. But I had three Riptides, all with the heavy burst cannon, and I found myself really. They heavy heavy burst cannons are great, and statistically they're almost the same. They're better against most targets than the ion cannon. But I found myself needing and or wanting a big punch unit uh, that besides the broadsides. The broadsides will eliminate anything they shoot at. But um, uh, anyways, what I did is I switched one of the riptides to have an ion accelerator or whatever it's called. Um, it has a longer range, a seventy-two inch range. It's actually pretty big because everything in the army is. Uh, 30 or 36 at the moment so having that ability to reach out and touch something is is actually really good and you know if you b believe the pundits uh vehicles and the whatnot are going to be coming uh, a little bit more heavy at the in the in the meta 
coming up. So having uh, something that has six shots, strength nine, minus three, and flat three damage is actually really helpful. Um, the three damage, and it's really the minus three AP that I was really looking for. Heavy burst cans only have minus one, and how I, I don't load my riptides out with uh, the uh, additional minus one AP system because I just can't, I can't justify it over the other systems I give them, and I'll explain why in a little bit. But only having minus one AP was a big um, uh, damage decrease to riptides, and being able to have a minus three to pretty much punch through most armor or, or at least reduce their saves to a six. Uh, I found to be, uh, in the few games I played with it, it'd be really helpful. So I'll go over the list. Um, it is all Tau Sept. It has Commander Shadow Sun and an Ethereal on foot. Three units of Fire uh, fire Warriors. It has three Riptides, two of whom have heavy burst cannons and smart missile systems. They also have Target Lock and... They have a counterfire defense measure. Now, I have been a big proponent of counterfire defense measure since I helped Tom train for SoCal Open last year. And what it does is it allows you to reroll Overwatch. And Tau, you know, their their big weakness is melee. So being able to reliably put out a ton of, of hits on Overwatch is extremely important with Tau. And giving the ability to hit on fives and then have full rerolls on your whole Riptide is awesome. I would never take a Riptide without it. Um, at LVO, I ran my Riptides with that, and I also ran them with Velocity Trackers, which is plus one to hit against Fly. Now, I found at LVO in my losses, I in the games where I was losing, I, I had to was needing to fall back with my Riptides and, and, and move away from the threats that were coming at me. And I found out, okay, you move, now you're shooting a heavy weapon, you're minus one, unless you can get four marker lights on your on the thing you're trying to shoot. But sometimes I need to shoot two things. One Riptide would need to shoot here, the other one would need to shoot there, and... I couldn't get four marker lights on both. And I honestly would sometimes struggle to get four marker lights at all uh, when you're losing the game on turn four. You know, you might have marker light pieces that have died. You don't, might just miss with your marker lights and then you're screwed because you're hitting on fives. And so I've replaced their velocity tracker with, um, well, it also I took velocity tracker Salvio because I was afraid of placing Eldar, facing Eldar. I never played a single Eldar player, which was uh, just a really, really great thing <laughs> to have that useless system. Um, but I found that the target lock allows you to move and shoot without penalty. And I found that to be super helpful on the Riptides because it really leverages their 12-inch movement that they have and allows them to kind of move around the board because Tau, you know, you castle up for two to three turns. And you, but then you got to get out there and get on that board uh, and move, move around. And uh, being able to move and shoot without penalty is, is super important. On the Ion Tide, my third Riptide has an Ion one. He has counterfire defense measures and, as well. And I also gave him a velocity tracker, which is plus one to hit against fly, which will <clears throat> help me in a flyer matchup or an elder matchup. But also with his 72 inch range, he doesn't necessarily need to move as much um, as the other guys. And if I do need to move him, I can hopefully get four stacks on one thing, the thing that he's going to shoot at. Um, I also then have three broadsides with all the missiles. I do give them the minus one AP system because they are my kind of big hammer unit that I can just bludgeon things to death with and having minus two AP on their high yield missile pods is super, super helpful. Yeah. Especially since they just have so much volume of fire. Yeah. That's really their strength is that they just shoot a fucking million missiles at things and things die. And then actually the, the smart missile systems are super clutch because they, they ignore cover already and they ignore line of sight and you can easily get reroll ones, even if you can't see something because there's, um, the ethereal can do a thing where if you don't move, you get reroll ones. And so they can be rerolling ones, shooting out of line of sight, 
wounding most things that they're shooting on threes and then ignoring their cover and giving them a minus one AP is, is will just shred through um, infantry hiding in, in ruins and stuff like that. So uh, very helpful. I then have a, another detachment with a Cold Star Commander with four missile pods. I find this guy is really clutch. There's a lot of discussions with Tau players on whether you go with the a Cyclic Ion Commander or some other loadout on your commanders. I like the Cold Star because he has the ability to reach out and get Line Breaker if you need it at the end of the game. Um, but also, I really take him to start the the Focus Fire Train if I need to do it on like a night or something like that. Because typically, he shoots eight missiles. You might get one wound through, and that's all you need to do to, to hit that stratagem for plus one to wound against the target for the rest of your army, which is... Um, and he gives, you know, he, on a knight, usually he'll get a wound through and do like one or two damage to the knight. And then that's a nice way to start that off so that your broadsides are, are kicking out, um, plus one to wound on their, on their, um, uh, missiles. Uh, Shadow Sun's also great in this list. I didn't mention her earlier, but she Kalyuns twice. Obviously that's really helpful, but she also just sits back and, um, provides reroll wounds to the broadsides or one of the riptides, usually the broadsides. Um, because she doesn't really have any guns that are useful at long range. Um, and if something gets close, I mean, she has some melt the guns, but typically she doesn't want to shoot and she wants to provide the reroll aura to the uh, ability to one of those units. Uh, I then take, I have three units of, sh of drones, uh, nine man units with seven shield drones and two marker light drones just for some extra marker light goodness. I then have another detachment with a cadre fireblade for a marker light and then two firesight marksmen for marker light support and then the dalek grek uh crude character from black Swan fortress he is essentially a mini uh smite if you will you just in the end of your opponent's movement phase once a game he can just set off a booby trap on one of your opponent's uh units it doesn't have to be able to see him he just has to be on the board, and uh, you roll a dice, and on a four-up, they take D3 mortal wounds. It's a little harder to hit a character, and it's a little easier to hit um, big units, but it's for 20 points, uh, it's a really, um, I think, auto must-have in a Tau army. Really? Yeah, for 20 points, sounds good. Yeah, I had him kill a Warlock in one game. It was great. <laughs> the Warlock was going to come out and uh, <laughs> quicken uh, some, some, I think, Shining Spears or something like that. Came out to do it, and I said, oh, he's going to get booby-trapped. And I happened to roll that five and then rolled the three on the mortal wounds uh, and killed the warlock before he and left his shining spears kind of with their dick in the wind. Um, so, you know, I, the list has evolved from LVO. Uh, I, at LVO, I had another battalion. Now, I only have one battalion. So I only have 10 command points to start. At LVO, I had uh, 14. And I found I didn't – the command points weren't necessary, and I needed more – you know, it's hard to say for a Tau, but you needed more shooting, right? <laughs> um, so it's kind of evolved from there. Um, and I've been playing the list, you know, ever since, probably since December of 2018 or November or some, sometime like that. So I've gotten pretty familiar with it, and I've made minor changes along the way, but um, the biggest change was after the LVO, obviously. So Did Chapter Approved help you out? Well, that's when I started playing uh, Tau, actually. It's funny because uh, I had done this project with Tom last year for TFG Radio where we kind of prepped him for the uh, the SoCal Open. And, of course, so I'm spending, you know, three months with the guy playing Tower, and I'm like, damn, Tower, good. <laughs> and then I had kind of been talking to some teammates of mine about what am I going to bring for LVO. And I was like, I oh, Tower, really good. And then, you know, I started building a Tower list and kind of borrowing Tom's Tower list. And 
then the chapter of proof came out and 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 yeah, it helped a fuck ton. Those broadsides went down like 120 points or something for the unit of three, which is a huge point drop, and just made them really click right into those uh, tau lists. Yeah, and <clears throat> one of the things that you have to do to prep for a, a tournament is take a look at the meta and what you think you're going to be facing. And there's going to be a lot of a lot of people think vehicles are going to be the next thing, and we're going to see also a lot of Eldar flyers because the Eldar are trying to find a list that now they can use that you know now that Yunari has been kind of maybe maybe nerfed. So your flyers, so your uh, Riptides hitting flyers on plus one is going to should help out a lot if you ever get one of those matchups. Yeah, and the Eldar matchup is tough. I mean, it, minus two to hit is extremely rough for a Tau matchup. I mean, it's just really rough. And um, you kind of have to telegraph who who you're shooting at with the marker lights, and then they can might lighting fast reflex that model too. So. Yeah, it's a tough. It is the elder matchup will be if I have to face it. That's like one of my two dreaded matchups is that and Gene Sir <laughs> Colt. And this will kind of get back into prepping. Is like look, I haven't played against Gene Sir Colt. Uh, I have a practice game with Danny tomorrow night. Hopefully, uh, he's going to be running a Gene Sir Colt list that we expect to see at the event, but. Um, you know, I, not having practice against it is going to be a, a big, uh, detriment when you get to, uh, a big tournament. Like last year I had never played crack and gene sealers and I played Colin last year and uh, Colin Sherman from, um, best, best infection. And he told me this gene starts to go real fast. And I, uh, it wasn't the speed that got <laughs> me. It was the fact that I, I left a wave serpent easily within range. And I said, Oh, you know, my wave serpent will survive gene sealers fighting it. And they just did. It didn't, you know. And had I played that before, or had I been, you know, halfway proficient at math, I could have just figured that out real quick and not not left it there to get eaten up. That's one of our big weaknesses of our local meta is our, our diversity of armies. Our armies are not really diverse, and people are not playing the bleeding edge of the the meta. I think it's called pronounced meta when you do a podcast. But uh, we don't, like, before LVO, I tried to get somebody who played Oryx and tried to get a game with Oryx. But nope, LVO was my very first uh, experience with Oryx, and that's not a way you want to be encountering them. And here, we are, here I am going to the BAO. I'm not, I've not played against the Gene Sailor Colt list yet, so I'm going to have to, this weekend, I'm probably going to have to reread their codex. And even then, when you read a codex, you don't really see all the combination and the nuances of the way things work together. So maybe I'll try to find some uh, bat reps off the uh, YouTube and try to look at how they function. Yeah, uh, that's one way to go about it, you know, and it's it's just kind of everyone probably has that similar situation in their meta. They're not going to be able to play everything that you'll see at a, a large, you know, event like the BAO, which attracts people from all over the West Coast and even the East Coast. So, well, let's talk about BAO. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen, Alan? My Who, prediction? Who's your winner? Pain. Pain. I don't, I don't know him. Uh, I don't know. A lot of people. I have no idea who's going to win. I think. I think it's just really. It's really open. Well, no. let's do this. They're doing. They're, this year they're doing an LVO style format. So you have six rounds on Friday and Saturday. Why they did it on Friday and Saturday on a three day weekend where you have Monday <laughs> off? I don't know. It's absurd and uh, stupid. But we played six rounds: three on Friday, three on Saturday, and then there's going to be a top eight that go and play on Sunday, just like LVO. I think the frontline gaming is thinking, look, the BAO's now at a large convention, and hopefully it'll grow to be, you know, uh, not necessarily LVO size, but a large event, you know, with 400, 
300, 400 p- players uh, where you can kind of uh, fill up that top eight with uh, hopefully a, a pretty close to undefeated record for most players. Um, I don't know. We don't need to talk about uh, specific players in the top eight, but what what sort of faction composition do you think will be in that top eight? Yeah, I noticed that a lot of the big-name big, big name players from the East Coast are not coming. They usually don't come to the BAO. The BAO the last few years have been kind of a very smaller event, so... Uh, as far as what I expect to be there in the top eight, I think Eldar in one form is still good. It's going to be, it's going to maybe see a couple in there. I'm not sold on Orcs. I'm not sold on Gene Sealer Colts going, you know, winning six games or at least five, five and one probably to get into with big scores. Yeah, that's the nice thing about this this year is it, it's, you know, I don't, I don't know how many players are registered, but I'm assuming it's in the 200 range. And you're going to have a lot. Like, I think four of the eight top eight players will have a loss. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be different. I, I don't think people really adjust to FAQs like I think everybody thinks they do. I think everybody thinks that the, the meta changes on a whim and turns out a dime. But I think everybody's pretty much going to play what they're going to play with the exception of being Yanari. Yanari is going to be different, but... I figure uh, Imperial Guard is still pretty good. And the question is, you know, are, are we going to see a lot of people who are going to do pure faction or we're going to do see a lot of people souping? That that will be really interesting as far as I'm concerned, is is see if we see some top players, you know, maybe taking pure lists. And doing well. And doing well with them. Or, I mean, it'll also just be an interesting to report on players going pure and doing poorly. I mean, going four and two with a pure list and just say, you know, does that... Does that mean that this pure list or this pure army faction can't be done if someone, you know, a named 40k player gives it a role and doesn't do well with it, you know, kind of see what happens with the pure pure faction, so. But I think we're going to see a couple IG armies. IG's still good. Uh, a couple Eldar. Probably see a Space Marine or two of some weird composition, maybe like, you know... Now that Smash Captains are back, we might see some of them with some, maybe some Dark Angels. Who know? I don't know, maybe some uh, super Space Marines. Let's see now, maybe a Tower too. Tower, Tower, really good. And let's see, what else is there? Necrons, no. Orcs, no. Uh, bit, oh, we're going to see a, a, probably some Chaos Soups will do well too. So I get probably two Eldar. Two IG, two Chaos, and then two Wild Cards, probably a Space Marine, and a uh, and some other list to be determined at a later date. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how it goes. I mean, my predictions is that you're gonna see Brandon Grant in top eight with Imperial Guard. Um, I predict you'll see one or both of Jim Vessel or Don Hoosen in the top eight. Um, I think you'll see Jeff Robinson in the top eight if he's playing. I don't. I don't know if he is, but I assume he is. I think he is. Yeah, I don't know he, if they're he's, he's, broadcasting this. Yeah, he's really good. Um, obviously, Brandon Grant's great. Don Hoosen won last year. He's got a good uh, keep his belt title. And Jim <laughs> Vessel's been on an absolute tear. I think those four people are. You're going to see them in the top eight. You know, maybe. Maybe they don't have a perfect record going in. They just but they smash their other games and they have five, you know, thirty-eight O's and uh, one loss with twenty-five points or something like that, where you get into the top eight. Um, <clears throat> and then you know the the rest of it is is uh, 
kind of up up in the air. I think you'll see I think you'll see an Elder Flyer spam up there because it is a, still a great list. I mean, even if without Yanari, you just run even either Reapers or or Scat bikes, and then th- three or four Eldar Flyers, they still get Doom. Uh, yeah, your your Razor Wings don't, but you know they're still out there getting you recon behind enemy lines, picking off vulnerable units in the back that you don't need to necessarily Doom, providing you with access to Vect, and still move move blocking most of the uh, the armies out there that you care about, um, screening out from Gene Sarah Colts, those kind of things. So, you know, I think we'll see an Eldar flyer list. I don't know who the pilot will be. Um, I remember, um, God, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but she's out of Vegas. She's with the war gaming group out there. Um, she ran Eldar flyers at battle for LA and did really well. I think she went four and one. Yeah. I think she only lost to Jeff Robinson. Maybe. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't, I don't recall, and I cannot remember her name. But I want to say Danielle, but I don't think that's right. Yeah, either way, I think she'll – maybe she pilots that list or someone else pilots that list. Uh, I think you'll see a Tau list, uh, if not piloted by me, someone else. I think, you know, I have to say Alan might get in there uh, just because <laughs> he's right across the table from me and he's a big guy. So, uh, But I, I also think you'll see a Gene Stewart Colt list in there. Um, you know, it's tough, Gene Stewart Colt, because I, I feel like they're really good, but – <clears throat> they can get a bad matchup, and I feel like if a Gene Circle runs into a new, a newer Primaris Marine army, they'll just shut them down. I mean, the ability to to say no, you can't come around me, and Deep Strike is super strong. And those Primaris Marines are not bad. And um, if you can, you know, use them as a complement to a, a Space Marine army, I think you might see that uh, Space Marine army kind of knock the Gene Circle player out of the uh, of the matchup, or an Elder Flyer matchup also will totally screw them up. Now that uh, Mental Onslaught has been nerfed. Yeah, with Gene Sutter Colts and Oryx, I'm just worried about their consistency because <clears throat> sometimes you'll you meet an army that will just put out a ton of firepower, and sometimes you'll have an army that can counter the the Gene Sutter Colts tricks. And when that happens, you're going to be up against it, and bad things are going to happen to you, and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah, and you know, Alex was Har- Alex Harrison's list from LVO, while not as powerful anymore, is still a great list. You know, it's still Able to beat orcs, if you ask me. Being able to vec the Grot Shield, and you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I don't. I don't think an orc list will get in the top eight. I think if my last pick, so it was two chaos imperial guard, jeez, uh, Eldar flyer, um, Tau death watch. Nah, you know, maybe another imperial list of some sort. I don't know, something wacky. I guess a, a, a wild card, if you will. But it'll be an interesting, uh, you know, uh, meta to see. I mean, it'll the BAO. <clears throat> I've been three of the last four years. I've been to BAO, and I've always found in the eighth edition meta, it's been pretty vehicle heavy. I mean, even at the start of eighth, it's a lot of vehicles. <clears throat> last year, obviously, knights went on a fucking tear through the BAO, um, and Don Hussein won with a knight and a bunch of tough units. Um, I think. You know, the Horde meta that everyone talks about, I don't think it'll be as dominant at BAO because it's just typically the people who go there don't bring big Hordes. Yeah, because you got you to gotta beat the clock and just and people just have an answer for Hordes. There's just so much firepower now. I dropped, uh, I was playing uh, Jay from the Roll to Seas podcast and I, I dropped some horrors down and I had like a hundred, I had a lot of summoning points too and he just, he just nuked my horror unit, just blew it off the table in one round. Just the amount of anti-infantry firepower out there is just stunning. So 
chords are going to be up against it. Now the question is, now everybody thinks because of the, the new meta and the FAQ changes that vehicles now will roam the countryside and be the masters of the domain. And Don Hussein, he's taking you know, three Helldrakes, three Lord Discordants, and basically three Contemptor Dreads, Hellforge Contemptor Dreads, and three Daredeo Dreads Hellforge. So it'll be interesting to see how that list does. Like, can you tie up those those uh, those dreads and he's got all these butcher cannon shots they're strength eight but they're only AP minus one so if you just hug cover you know will they do that much damage so it'll be interesting to see uh, what what that list does yeah and it's then, a, it's an incredibly efficient list I mean like the shooting is it, it the, the, the thing is if, if you can negate it it's shooting then you don't have anything to worry about but that's a tough thing to do. And luckily, he he does have uh, out of line of sight shooting with his with his uh, greater havoc launchers. But the one thing about frontline gaming events, they have a lot of large line of sight blocking terrain. So, you know, the hell drakes and the Lord Discordance will try to dig you out from behind cover. But if you hug cover, you know, you might be okay against it. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. I mean, obviously, then. Jem Vassal's list, will, we'll see how he does. I mean, he's I think he's going, he's got a pretty damn good winning streak. He was at the top table at the CTC a couple of weeks ago, Adepticon. He's kind of on a on a on a bender. Yeah, I recommend there's a battle report that was well done from a few weeks ago. I think at the West Coast GT. And uh, it had Jim Vessel's final game, and I recommend everybody watch it if you're planning on going to the BAO, because one of the ways I prepare for a major is I try to take a look at top players and their top lists and try to figure out, just basically have a simple game plan of what I would do if I did encounter them. And because, you know, success breeds, you know, a lot of invitation, there's a lot of people who will netlist Jim Vessel's list. So it's not just Jim Vessel, but you're going to be seeing a lot of other play people play it. And... We also saw him uh, lose a couple weeks ago at the Canadian uh, Championships there to TJ Lanigan, and TJ had a very similar chaos list to what Jim Vessel ran. So, familiar yourself with that list and how it works. So, and basically, it's just a million pox walkers, which have you know five up vulnerable save, five up feel no pain, usually minus two to be hit, and just and he just screens a bunch of characters that way and. So, you know, you just try to figure out a game plan. Like his his um, pox walkers are not they're not minus one to hit if you get in them under twenty models to try to hit them with smites or try to bring them down to under twenty models before you unleash a big shooting unit onto them. And his contemptor dread is very important. If you can take his contemptor dread net dreadnought out turn one, you're gonna be in pretty good shape. And then you just have to deal with his characters and smites. So it's a good list though, and it's very reliable and dependable and just tough as nails. Yeah, and then you got you know uh, Brandon Grant's list. He's he's running all three or three of the four uh, Imperial Guard specialist attached. He's got a bunch of tank commanders, guys in chimeras, double shooting basilisks or wyverns. He's got the Bulgren Star, which is a the most durable unit in the game of 40k in my opinion is the Bulgren Star, and it's insane. Uh, that's a subject for another day though. Um, so yeah, I mean these are the kind of things that we'll we'll hope to see at the BAO. We'll see hopefully see these players do well, and one of them will rise to the top. Okay, and on that note, we're gonna we're done. So it's time to blow this popsicle stand. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at focusedfirepodcast at gmail.com. 
And that is it. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. All right. Take care, people, and have a nice weekend. Bye now.